We're talking about living faith, and we're walking through this letter of James. And just for some of us who may have not been here last week, just as a point of review, last week we launched into a core principle that James was making in his letter to the people who were receiving it. And one of the principles he was making is that a living faith, a faith that is active, a, a life that is fully engaged with God, that is, it, it has a combination of two things. It, it moves from a point of deep trust in him which is what really faith comes down to. That's what faith is. But it, James says, you know what? It, it's not enough to have that. We must move from a place of deep trust in him to one of public action. It must show up in our everyday lives. And so he's saying that this, this combination of two factors in our lives is the result. It's the outflow of what a living faith looks like. And in his effort to make this case to the people reading his letter, he ends up pointing back to a model, a role model, a, an example of somebody who had a living faith. And he zeroes in on one of the most stunning events in his life. And this is what he says in verse 21. If you open up your handout, he refers back and he says this. He kind of captures this idea and he says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham, whom they would readily uh, be familiar with, he says, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions? And there it is, by his actions. When on this specific event, when he offered his son Isaac on the altar, that's the incident. That is the stunning point of test. The, the account that showed anyone who would be familiar with Abraham's story that he had a living faith, the offering of Isaac. And then he goes on and he says, you see, he explains this a little bit more. He says, you see his faith, his point of belief, his trust, and his actions, they, they worked together. His actions made his faith complete. In other words, his actions demonstrated that his faith was fully alive. And they, the, the people that would be reading James' letter wouldn't need to be recounted the story of Abraham and Isaac. They, they would not need to walk through it or refer back to it because from their early childhood, they would probably remember stories being recounted to them of this amazing incident in Abraham's life. But I'm hoping that as we engage with it, as we walk this account out, we will come to see what I would like us to consider for the remainder of our time here together, which is the second piece of what we're going to look at in terms of a living faith, that a living faith, it doesn't just move from a, a point of deep trust to one of public action. It actually has another component. It has many components to it, but one of the things I'd like us to kind of grapple with is this idea that living faith, it gives God the opportunity to show up. It gives God the opportunity to show himself faithful. And the mechanism to, to, to give God the opportunity to open that door for him to move in our lives is obedience. Is an obedient response to what he may be asking of us. And so every time we may read his word or we might engage in a conversation with somebody or we may draw to his house and we hear something of his voice compelling us, drawing us, trying to sway us into something. What's really happening is God is asking us, inviting us to give him the opportunity to show up and to prove himself faithful in our lives. Now that, that takes life that is based on trust to a very strong 
level in our lives. And I'm hoping that as we engage with this, we'll get to see something of what Abraham did and how we walked this out. But the reality of the matter is, if we were honest with ourselves, we don't necessarily take a risk before something happens. See, we live in a culture, we, 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 I would say I'm very much a part of this, that we by nature are almost the opposite. And instead of taking a leap and then finding out if it's true or not, we, we would rather someone show us, prove it, and then I will do it. Right? We, we are much more comfortable with maybe somebody showing us first, and then I will follow. Demonstrate this to be true, and then I will test it out myself. And yet, God brings us to points where he asks us to take a small leap. And to us, that small leap may be a rather large leap. It reminds me of, um, of this story I read some time ago. It was years ago, actually, and I'm not even sure if it was true or not, but I think it, it accurately captures the struggle of what it might look like to give God an opportunity to show up. It, the story goes something like this. There's a man who's in the desert, finds himself in the desert, and he's wandering the desert, and he has no water, and he's coming to the point of death because of his lack of water. And off in the distance, he sees a small shed. And that shed, as he starts to draw near to it, becomes a little bit more clear. It's not a mirage. And so he tries his best to get there as quickly as possible, and he arrives at the shed, and he sees that the shed has a door. And so he opens up the door, and inside that small shed, that small, very small space, is a water pump. And that water pump has a canteen next to it. And that canteen is filled with some water that could very easily quench his immediate thirst. But next to that canteen filled with water is just a small piece of paper with some instructions. And it says, now this canteen is filled with water that will prime the pump. If you pour this water out on the pump, it will prime this pump. And you will be able to have as much water as you can possibly desire. And this man, not knowing who the author of this note is, has faced himself with a struggle, a very real struggle that I think you and I understand whenever we may sense God asking us to do something. Many times it might look like us giving something up that we have right there in front of us for something that we may not know whether or not is true. We may not know whether or not this word will be fulfilled. If this promise can be delivered. And the story goes that the man, after struggling and wrestling with this, decided to pour that water out onto the pump. And he began to push down on the pump and pull it back up. And the pump started to be primed. And out of the faucet gushed water like he had not even imagined. And he satisfied his thirst, refilled that canteen, and not having anything to write with on this note, he desired so deeply to write next to this note, trust this word. It's true. And so much of what God may want to say to us requires us in some way, shape, or form to Maybe be willing to take that leap, doesn't it? Be willing to take that um, 
point of release. And this is, this is where Abraham was able to demonstrate what it might look like to have a living faith in this account specifically. And so I'm hoping that as we engage with it, we not only get to see a man walk this out with God, pour out what he loved most, and then saw God show up in a very powerful way, but we're able to also glean some things in our own lives. And so if you, if you read with me, we're told in verse 1, we'll just jump right in there. We're told that sometime later, Sometime after God had already engaged with Abraham's life, after he had already delivered on the promise of giving him a son, Isaac, sometime is somewhere around 37 to 40 years after God first initiated with Abraham. Sometime later, we're told that God tested Abraham's faith. He wanted to take Abraham's faith to another point of life. And he says to him, Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. I understand you're speaking to me. And we're told, you know what, what is it that you want to say? And this is the test. Here it is. We're told in verse 2 that he says, God says, take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much. Go to the land of Moriah. I want you to go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. I want you to, to do this, Abraham. I want to see how you will respond when I touch what you love most. And again, as a point of review, Abraham is over 100 years old at this point. And human sacrifice is not something that God had shown himself to be. God never, never okay, we need to address just a couple things, firstly. Is that in Abraham's time, this idea, this practice of sacrificing somebody up for a deity to be appeased was unfortunately common practice in his day. And so although he, in his culture, people would practice this, and it was in some way, shape, or form an unspoken, accepted thing, he had never experienced God's character to be this way. And as a small side note, this is truly the only time God asks something of somebody that so heavily contradicted who he showed himself to be. And the only other time God ever asked something like this, to this degree, it was of himself. It was of himself when he gave his only son for our benefit that anyone who would believe in him would receive everlasting life. It was of himself. And so up until this point, here, we, 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 we may be more familiar with God because we, we, we may understand that we have at our disposal his scriptures that reveal to us what he is like. We have the benefit of the amazing love and grace and forgiveness that flows out of who Jesus is. We may be familiar with hundreds of years of an account, you know, in some ways, a, a testifying to God's goodness and his grace. Abraham had none of that. And so we can rest that in the fact that God had asked Abraham to do this, not only for what he was going to come about out of this situation, but for the benefit of anyone who would hear of what happened when God asked this of Abraham. It was for everyone's benefit and having not the benefit of a written word or the the ability to draw on the fact that Jesus drew near he ends up having a face-to-face -face conversation with him and he asks him to do this unbelievable thing I want you to give me 
your son. And the truth of the matter is, if Abraham second-guessed God, if he complained, if he pushed back, if he avoided, procrastinated, or developed any sense of entitlement, he, we would readily understand. But that's not what he did. What he did was nothing short of remarkable. Because we're told in verse 3 that the very next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. He got ready to do what was being asked of him. And then he did something very important. He chopped wood for a fire, for a burnt offering, and set out for the place God had told him to go. Now, he does this the very next morning, not knowing what kind of internal turmoil or anxiety or amount of uh, frustration, maybe even fear he felt he set about on the path to do what God had asked him to do. And he does this without informing Sarah. Because I think it's fair to say that if, if he had informed Sarah, this account would be extremely short. <laughs> Sarah, I heard God speak to me yesterday. Yeah, what did he say? He wants me to offer Isaac up as a burnt offering. Are you crazy? No. And so Abraham stayed home. <laughs> the, the end. And, and that was the test he, he did not pass. But he, he ends up keeping this to himself for obvious reasons. And he ends up setting out on figuring out what God was asking him to do by himself. This was his test. This was what God was asking him to do. Not everyone else. And so with that in mind, he sets out with his servants, with Isaac, with the wood, and we're told that this journey was not an immediate journey. In verse 4, we're told that on the third day of their journey, which means something, there was a distinct period between choosing to take the risk and arriving to the destination. Three days. On their third day of the journey, three days, two nights of journeying with one's thoughts, one's emotions, one's rationalizations. Three days and two nights of seeing his son, his one and only son, the living proof that God can deliver on his promise. Three days and two nights after this of possibly being faced with the temptation of wanting to turn back around, go back home, possibly second-guess what it is that God was asking him to do, Three days of confronting the all-too-real possibility of what lie up ahead. He stuck with it. And we're told that three days later, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He saw, saw Mount Moriah. And as he saw Mount Moriah, we're told in verse 5 that he looked to his servants and he said to them something that starts to give us a hint of where his source of strength comes from. He, he says, stay here with the donkey, Abraham told his servants. I want you to stay here. The boy and I will travel a little further. And then he says something very interesting, which I don't think he was saying just to soothe any amount of suspicion. I actually think it came out of points of sincerity. Because he says, we're going to go a little further. We're going to worship there. And then we will come right back. Isaac's going to be OK. I'm trusting in who I know God is. We'll come back. We'll come back. We'll come back. 
And so Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. An amazing foreshadow of what God's son would carry one day on his shoulders. Wood carrying that he would one day be offered up on. While he himself carried the fire and the knife, and as the two of them walked on together, we get the picture. A journey of four turns into a leg, final leg, a journey of two. A father and a son heading towards a mountain of God's designation. Isaac carrying the wood on which he will soon lay. Abraham carrying the knife. The eeriness of this journey, the bitter coldness of what it all looks like. The final leg, he pushes forward. And Isaac, as they're moving forward, is starting to wonder something. Is starting to question what's going on because he clearly knows there are several elements that are needed for a burnt offering. There, There is a wood piece that is needed, clearly. His father has maybe their versions of matches, and he has a a knife to maybe slay what would normally be the lamb for the sacrifice. And so Isaac, as they're walking forward, by the way, fully obeying his father, because in that day and age, um, how, how do we say this? Parental authority was highly revered. It was rarely questioned. Obedience was just a common Part of what it looked like to be in a family, especially a patriarchal one. And so we're told that Isaac starts to wonder something, and so he asks his father. He says in verse 7, Isaac turned to Abraham and he said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Um, We have the fire, we have the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Ah, I think we're missing something, aren't we? I mean, you said we're going to go worship, but we're missing something. And then Abraham shows just another, I think, inside view to what he was leaning on when he began this journey, when he went through the three days of this journey, And ultimately, how he saw this journey through, we're told in verse 8 that he says that he looks at Isaac. And again, I I think he sincerely said, God will provide a sheep, my son, for the burnt offering. Um, We see Abraham practicing something that we may have heard once before. See, if God asked me to do this, Isaac, then God will provide. If God asked me to engage in this, then he will help us complete it. Uh, Listen, he has been faithful before. He will be faithful again. He has provided before. He will provide again. He has asked me to trust him before, and he has never let me down. And I'll tell you what, he will not start now. After almost four decades of taking the risk of obedience, He learned something very deep and true about God, that when we give him the opportunity to show up, he shows up. And with that within his soul, he answers his son, whom he loves so much, God's going to provide. He's going to see us through this. Let's keep going. 
And he keeps going. Remarkably, this it becomes the incident. This becomes the hinge point, the turning point of what James says. Look, this is what an engaging life with God looks like. This is what a living faith looks like. To turn a point of trust, of deep trust, into action. To uh, give God the opportunity to show up. Because the truth of the matter is, Abraham wasn't having any kind of side conversation with God. It wasn't like God said, listen, I'm going to go ahead and do this. Look, in a couple days, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to test you. I'm going to ask you, will you give me your one and only son? Then you're going to go and do this. But don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to go ahead and show up for you. So just, I just want you to walk through the motions, and then everything's going to be okay. No, that never happened. All Abraham knew is that God has been extraordinarily good to him. Merciful and gracious. Has shown himself to be loving and kind. Slow to anger. Has delivered on what he has promised. And on that, Abraham leaned. He said, now God's going to provide. No one has told me that, but God's going to provide. I know it. And they move forward, which is a remarkable, remarkable example of what it may look like for us to give God the opportunity to show up. And we're told in verse 9 that when they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham did not just stop. He went through what was being asked of him. He built an altar. He arranged the wood on it. And then he did something that may have just struck horror inside of Isaac. He tied his son Isaac, and then he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. It probably becomes some of the hardest words to read in the scriptures that, that this is being done. In verse 10, Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. There is no clearer foreshadow of what it must have felt like to be in God's shoes when he saw, or in his place, when he saw his one and only son be laid up on a piece of wood. Having the capacity to relent, he does not. Having the capacity to stop this from happening to Jesus, his beloved son, and he does not. There is no clearer foreshadow or sign or example of what this must have been like for God, but he doesn't allow Abraham to go through with it. No, the very minute he takes his knife to go and finish what was being asked of him, God steps in. And as Isaac may have been just struck with nothing but fear, looking at his father with a knife pointed in his direction, must have also felt nothing but relief when he heard at that moment in verse 11 that the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Here I am. And what one can only imagine, one of the most agonizing incidents in his and Isaac's life quickly stopped short, interrupted by a voice sent from heaven, And things turn around immediately. We're told in verse 12 that he says to them, don't lay a hand on the boy. Do not hurt him in any way, which has always been God's heart towards Isaac. It was never about 
anything other than how will Abraham respond? How will Abraham respond? For I now know that you truly fear God. You revere him above all other things. You truly love him. You trust him. It's genuine and sincere. You were able to allow God access to the very one you loved most. You have not held, and then he says, you have not held from me even your son. Yes, your only son. You were ready to do it, Abraham, and I have stopped you. Your faith is fully alive. And as he hears the voice of the Lord, he, we're told that he puts the, vo- the, the knife down. And then what he had already banked on happening happens. And when he told Isaac that God would provide, he gave the the Lord an opportunity to show up, didn't he? And verse 13 tells us that then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. God provided an amazing and a substitute for his one and only son, And we could see this, that that minute changed everything. That Abraham was not alone in experiencing what just happened. Isaac also participated in it. And so Abraham says, he he named that place Yahweh. God provides, the Lord provided. To this day, people still use that name as a proverb, we're told. It says, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That incident, that moment where... God showed up and delivered and showed himself faithful that he is trustworthy indeed with the very things we love and treasure most. It changed everything. And what an experience that must have been for both Isaac and Abraham, forever knowing that God will not let us down. See, they discovered something pretty Amazing. They discovered what, mm, what is reserved for only those who take this leap of giving God the opportunity. He shows up. He provides. He never abandons. He never forsakes. He never sleeps nor slumbers. He is always fully aware of what is being asked of us how we're engaging it, and ultimately how we see it through. God has been there every step of the way with Abraham. And in the same way that he was there with Abraham, I'd like to suggest that if there are areas in our lives where we sense God saying something to us, this is what is required. I'm hoping that we're able to see there are a couple things we can... um, utilizes examples from Abraham to engage with what God may be asking of our living faith. Firstly, and we'll go through these fairly quickly here, that we're told what we see here is that living faith takes courage from what God, God has done in the past, his past faithfulness. And this is where Abraham was able to draw such an amazing amount of peace 
and strength, isn't it? it w- this is the place where he was able to say, listen, listen, Isaac, God will provide. And it's not just empty words. It has been proven time and time again in my life. And because it's been proven, it will continue to be proven in my life. He is faithful. He has never disappointed. And so if, listen, if there are some of us that are walking through this, I, this is why sometimes I think it's just so important to have something of a, of a journal, something of an account when we experience, um, you know, something maybe that we may not have known how things were going to unfold. And then looking back, we see God's favor and grace in our lives. And it's just so powerful to be able to just sit down and write down the different moments in our lives where we have maybe been on one side of things filled with anxiety and fear. And then God was able to see us through it. And just writing that down gives us an ability to draw from it. Or maybe even in the midst of walking through something, some of us, this is the first leap we're about to take. And I'd like to encourage us to make an account of it, to not, remember, to not forget it, but to remember it, to put it down. This, this incident in my life was the first time where I took a risk and God showed up. And in retrospect, it may, it may look so small, but in the moment, we're about to do it. It's one of the most amazing leaps we're about to take. And those become marking points in our lives that gives us strength to face other challenges and obstacles and tests and trials. Because God is continually wanting to show himself faithful. And the more we're able to make an account in our own lives, the more we have to draw from. And if we have never experienced something of his faithfulness, then I would suggest talking to people who have. Because everyone's story has one uniting thread. Somehow God showed himself faithfully good, loving and kind. Somehow God drew me near. Somehow God healed my soul. Somehow God showed himself faithful. So powerful to hear people's stories or to read people's accounts or maybe even to nothing else, see his faithfulness throughout generation upon generation of people who trusted in him. Abraham was able to draw off his own experiences with God. I pray that God may give us the ability to draw off ours. Secondly, Abraham was also able to engage with a living faith because a living faith, it endures through the process of completing what is being asked of us. He endured through the anxiety, the discomfort, the maybe point of agony, desire to escape or quit, turn around, and he saw it through. He saw it through. He finished the task, which I think for me, for me personally, I love starting tasks. I love engaging in things. In fact, when we first, I, we, my wife and I rent a, a, a small uh, house with a, just two patches of dirt in the front yard. And when we first got there, it was filled with weeds. And I remember when we first moved in, I thought in my mind, this is going to be grass one day. I love kind of just the feeling of trees and grass. I want to convert all these weeds, these dried up weeds into grass. And so I got very excited, got some shovels and some picks and some other things, and I started hacking away one Saturday. I expected by Saturday night to have a front lawn. (laughs) And I was excited. And I started hacking away at it, hacking away at it, and the more I hacked away at it, the more I started to understand just how much work this was going to take. 
And I didn't even get halfway done by the first Saturday. Then another week passed by, it didn't happen. And the third week passed by, I, I started to get just a little bit discouraged. This is very hard work. And, and then life interrupted, as so often life does. And I quickly forgot about it. My wife, without saying anything, about six months later, decided she was going to engage with this project. And she goes out there and silently shames me <laughs> by starting to work on something I had started. And she experiences much of the same cycle that I experienced. She put seed out and started watering it, and, but it just wasn't coming together. And we both came to a point of saying, maybe, maybe it's just not going to happen. Dirt is like sand. It's not even dirt. It's, nothing's going to grow here. Life it doesn't exist on this side of the inner sunset. And, and so we're sitting there. And, and then this year, my wife reminded me, remember when, way back when you started that project? Yeah, I do. Are you ever going to finish it? <laughs> so much easier to start than to finish. And it, you know, that, that check gave me a, a small fire to engage once again. And oh, the satisfaction when we have a task that we set upon and we finish it. How much more when it has something of God's voice laced into what we're supposed to do? When we see it through, it's there that our fiber becomes stronger and our endurance increases and the muscles of our trust in God are able to handle a little bit more and are able to be proven a little bit stronger and are able to see God's faithfulness a little bit more. What an amazing thing Abraham was able to experience, but he did not experience it the very first day he sat on his journey. Three days later. I wonder what are the things in our lives that God may be asking us to see through. God may be asking us to engage at a higher level. God may be asking us, remember that area you started with me on? Can we see it through? Can we walk this out? Can we bring this to a point of completion? Because if we do, if we give God the opportunity to show up, something, I think, far richer than just the reality that God will show up happens to us. I, I think for us, what we get to experience, and this is our third thought and final point here, is that living faith, it personally experiences that God will provide for what is being asked of us. God will provide. God provides but this lesson is not one we can learn in the pages of a book that is hundreds of thousands of years old. It is only learned in the footsteps of everyday life. And in the account of our own life, when we take our point of trust in him, respond to what he is asking of us, and walk it out. As we walk it out, we experience not just the pleasure of being able to live with God, but also the fact that no one can take from us that God shows up. And when he asks something of us, he walks with us every step of the way, and he does something amazing, amazing, amazing. One of the very first things I remember personally prompt to do 
when I first started taking God seriously in my life was to share with somebody some of the baggage that I had been carrying, regrets and points of embarrassment and maybe even deep shame. And nothing inside of me wanted to do it. Nothing. And everything inside of me was afraid of the judgment and the condemnation and what was going to be said, what was going to be perceived, how things were going to be looked at. And I still remember being a, an 18-year-old kid sitting in somebody's living room deciding to take him up because I, I just couldn't get away from it. Every time I read the Bible, it said, listen, if you confess your sins one to another and pray for each other, you will be healed. If you tell Jesus of what's going on, he will not just forgive you of everything that has marked you, but he will also cleanse you of those things that weigh you down. Everywhere I read it, I just read something. If you, if you are able to confess what has happened, he will be nothing but merciful to you. And I just, can't, I just couldn't get away. So I set up a, a night to talk to somebody, and I did. Somebody I trusted. And leading into that living room, I felt so awful. And the more I started sharing, and the more I started opening my life up, the more I started experiencing what I had read all along. And what I saw in the other, this person's eyes was nothing but grace and forgiveness, empathy, a willingness to join with me, pray for me, that God is real, that his forgiveness is amazing, and that his freedom feels better than life. It might feel like death, it ends up becoming nothing but life. Because every moment he asks us to do something, it might feel like the end, but it's just the beginning. It is not the end. It's the beginning of God showing up in our lives. May this be the case. May we activate our faith. May we give him the opportunity to demonstrate himself faithful in our lives. May that be the case. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you are more trustworthy than the very ground we stand on. That you are able to see us through the challenges and the obstacles we walk through. And I thank you, God, that you give us the ability to test you on certain things to see if truly your love extends to us, to see if your grace extends to us. And I thank you, God, that anyone who decides to take a leap of faith with you is always caught by you. And you always show yourself faithful. You do not let us down. May you continue to strengthen what you have deposited within us. May you help us engage with this life fully alive. May you give us a living faith. We pray for this, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.